you know, Jesus doesn't love him because he's keeping the commandments. He doesn't love him because he's doing all the right things, but because his heart is drawn to God. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me today are your friends of mine, Karen. Good morning. And Amy. Hello. And Tracy. Good morning. Good morning. When this episode lands, we're going to be probably right in the middle of December. So here, we're only in like this, when we're recording, it's only like the second week of uh, November. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. And I was in Walmart the other day, and they were already playing Christmas carols, which, uh, which is, you know, to me, that's a that's a very good change from the hol- Halloween season. I'm not a, I, I'm really not a fan of the Halloween decorations and and stuff. And so, you know, last night my wife and I walked into uh, Lowe's and and uh, Walmart and you know uh, other places. We were kind of looking for a new Christmas tree, but going in and seeing the bright lights and and all that stuff is such a it's such a nice change from all the all the darkness and and I don't even know how to describe the Halloween stuff. But so seeing the Christmas stuff was nice. But um, uh, what ha, have you guys been hearing the Christmas carols already? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you ha, has Mariah Cara, Carey been serenading you yet? <laughs> She's not here quite yet. Well, <laughs> if. <laughs> When I start seeing that, when I start seeing the Christmas decorations go up and stuff and the music being piped into Walmart, I I actually assume that they're trying to stimulate my subconscious urge to spend money. I'm Am sure I, that's Do you think I'm wrong? Does it work? <laughs> no. No. Whenever I have to go someplace like Walmart, I'm like, ew, it's getting on me. And I just get the things that I need and leave as soon as possible. <laughs> It's so gross. Uh, it can be a local <laughs> farmer's market any day of the week. Uh, oh, the, the Walmart is getting on you. I get you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Walmart is getting on me. Yes. Well, you know, that's funny because, yeah, last night, Shannon, we're, we're walking into Walmart and all of a sudden she's just, you know, she's just, you could tell she's just burning up hot. And of course, you know, she's been through cancer stuff and taken all these therapies and which put her into, uh, probably sharing too much, but put her into menopause or menopause early and she gets these hot flashes. So I just get used to her constantly being on fire, you know, but then finally she just goes, it must just be Walmart. Walmart just must make me anxious because I just start burning up as soon as I walk in the door. <laughs> so I say, yeah, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> but it's just it's just i don't know the whole thing is just kind of funny to me how funny you know maybe not haha way but funny in an odd way how it's just like we keep creeping we keep creeping the holidays up closer and closer to, i think eventually we're just going to get to the point where year round it's just going to be holiday you know <laughs> holiday stuff between yeah the rate we're going they're going to be setting up a, they'll have a christmas section and a halloween section and a thanksgiving slash fall section all set up by you know fourth of july or so oh yeah yeah well because as soon as that you know usually you know you're a, if you're in walmart on christmas eve they're already tearing stuff down and getting ready for valentine's day you know so why would you be in walmart on christmas eve matt why it's 
it's not fun. <laughs> it's a man thing. <laughs> no, it's not because I'm like last minute shopping or anything. But sometimes you just okay. need something right at that last second, you know. Okay, I was just you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you know. Wait, will that need... tomorrow? Oh, that big day, right? <laughs> you walk in the door, you grab the first thing you see. Yeah, she'll like that, I guess. <laughs> so Halloween was on Tuesday. I'm walking in the back door of our office on Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. And Christmas music is playing. (laughs) And I was like, you can't be serious. I don't know if it was because it was so early or if it was just because literally I probably had Halloween candy in my backpack walking into work. Yeah, it was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. There's there there, there's no downtime anymore between any of them. And uh some people lament that we skip right over Thanksgiving with all that, but there's no Thanksgiving carols. So, you know, and the, and the hell or the, the uh, Thanksgiving decorations aren't all that different from some of the Halloween stuff. So. Yeah. So that's you know. what I'm saying. <clears throat> there's no reason to stop and be labor Thanksgiving yeah. because there's nothing to make people spend money. So we got to right. get to the next money. That's what I'm getting at. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's only so much people are going to spend on groceries for Thanksgiving dinner. So, yep. Matt, no, I, I think. I think that for the beauty of the earth is actually a Thanksgiving carol. Well, did you know that? Yeah. (laughs) I read the words carefully. That's what I think. I guess I I could be wrong. Well, I guess I'll have to pay attention to that because um, I don't think the rest of the world knows that. (laughs) Yeah, I think the rest of the world, the only stanza they're singing is, oh, I ate too much. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the that's the Thanksgiving carol. Oh, I'm going to die. (laughs) <laughs> What's who's playing football today? <laughs> we have right. a local we have a local cooking club that has started up, and um, so we were trying to figure out what to do for our what theme to do for our once a month uh, session in December. And so, so we everyone was like, "Oh, well, we could do because for Thanksgiving this month we're doing a Thanksgiving themed one, and it's actually today." And um, so I'll be going to that later. But anyway. Um, so the, the the one in December, everyone was like, well, we could do another holiday themed one. And of course, the lady who's kind of running the thing is pretty healthy. And she's like, oh, but everything is so unhealthy. Well, I mean, I guess we could. We could just try to do healthy versions of it. And we're all like, why would we do a healthy version of anything? You know, so we're kind of bantering back and forth about this. So we decide we are going to go ahead and do, you know, Christmas holiday themed foods. And yes, we will make an effort to emphasize the health of each one and then they're like okay so because we try to come up with a catchy name for each month's thing and they're like okay so what what can we put on the postcard for december's thing and i was like how about if we call it does this plate make my butt look big (laughs) (laughs) and they all laughed but i don't think they're gonna put that on the postcard so disappointing (laughs) that's hilarious i thought it was brilliant (laughs) <laughs> I don't get the point of necessarily trying to stay healthy through through the whole. I mean, if 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 you're healthy the rest of the year, I don't see the point of necessarily having to stay healthy through the holidays because just to, to me, it's like just enjoy yourself. But then I enjoy myself year round. So <laughs> 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 you know, that's that's just my perspective on it. But to me, it's like you know what, whoever's trying to make the low fat mashed potatoes is like what? No, just. Just enjoy the mashed potatoes on 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 uh, on Thanksgiving and Christmas or whatever. You know, eat all the fat and carbs and 
in everything that day. You can go back to it the next day. Anyway, we're so far off topic, as usual. <laughs> but uh, yeah, M- Mariah Carey has not blessed us with uh, with with her her, her holiday her shrieking just yet. Yeah, <laughs> I have to admit that is a, her song is kind of a guilty pleasure of mine at Christmas time. But we'll move on because I don't need the judgment and derision. So the reason we are here today is to uh, finish studying the book of Luke chapter 18. And you guys know how we can be if we don't get through that, or if we do get through that, then we will move on into uh, Matthew 19 and Mark, uh, what did we say? 10. Um, so, but uh, Luke 18. Now, when we started the book of Luke, we were good going through some of the parables of Jesus. Uh, we went through the parable of the persistent widow, which was about prayer and continuing to go to God with your petitions, um, which actually just yesterday, Amy sent us a video, an interesting video of um, an article written by C.S. Lewis that I think I'll probably put the um, I'll put I'll put a link to that in the show notes when we do this. But it was an interesting look into um, why why prayer is is important from and it's from two different perspectives of like, well, if God's going to do it anyway, why should I pray? You know, kind of thing. And so really interesting little article that he had written there. Um, And then the next one was the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which is all about not looking down on other people, putting yourself on a pedestal as if you're better than them. And then the idea of the last one was uh, Jesus blessing little children, where the idea is We've got to have faith like children with very simple faith in order to inherit the kingdom of God because of the ways that we tend to complicate everything and inundate everything with rules. Which that then leads us right into this next, it leads us very well right into this next section of Luke 18, which is where a uh, a young a ruler of, of the uh, Jewish ruler, I guess, and when they say ruler, I guess they're talking authority in the synagogue generally maybe a priest or um uh yeah anyway somebody of high authority but he comes to jesus he says good teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life jesus jesus starts with a rather interesting response where he says why are you calling me good only god is good and so i was i was i was contemplating that and that the beginning of that answer why are you calling me good? Only God is good. Do you think that he is trying to draw something out from this guy to get the guy to recognize him as Messiah, as the son of God, as the representation of God on earth? Is this kind of his, Jesus's subtle way of saying, yeah, I'm God. I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you think about that? So short answer? Yes. Like I, I do sense that that could be, it could possibly be the only reason Jesus would say something like that, because it is sort of odd, right? It is an mm-hmm. odd thing to say. <laughs> of course, none of us are God. so. Um, but I wonder if it's Jesus' way of kind of pulling out of the young man, you know, why are you so attracted to me? Why are you calling me good? Why are you seeking me out? There's something in me that you need, because Jesus isn't like the rest of us. There's something in him that we need. And so, yes, I think that that's what's happening. Jesus is trying to cause him to recognize Mm -hmm. uh, his own deity. Yeah, and I, 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 it's, it sort of is an inter, well, interesting is not, I keep saying that word, but it, um, 
this man's as we're going to go forward, we're going to see that this man's need to recognize uh, more than than what's just right in front of his face uh, is kind of vital to to his salvation, really. And so so Jesus kind of saying this, he is. Yeah, he is sort of subtly, subtly uh, declaring himself there, which we've seen him do a little bit more and more as we've gotten closer and closer to the end of the Gospels. But then he 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 as he moves forward, then he starts to give, I think, a response similar to what the man is expecting, because he says, well, you know what the commandments are. And then he starts to write, recite uh, some of the Ten Commandments. You know, he's things like, you know, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, you know, these kind of things, things that you would expect anyone who has studied scripture and known these things, and of course, you know, these rulers, these Sadducees and Pharisees and these guys, they were expected to know all of this stuff and have it by heart. And so Jesus is like, well, you know this stuff. Why, you know, why the question? The thing that stands out to me about this is that, you know, if you if you break the Ten Commandments down into their two themed sections— you know, the love your love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? So the first four are how we love God, and the last six are how we love our fellow man. The only commandments that Jesus mentions here are how to love your fellow man, mm-hmm. because he knows there's a gap, right? He knows this guy, and he knows that the problem in this man's heart is how you love God. It's idolatry. Mm-hmm. So that he comes at it kind of sideways. He comes at the ones where the man can say, no, I've, I've done those. I've done those my whole life. Mm-hmm. Did you notice which one he left out? Well, let me look, because I think it actually depends on which version of it you're reading. But if we're looking at it in Luke, adultery, murder, stealing, false witness, uh, coveting. Yeah. Yep. Which goes to the heart of what his actual issue was. So he, he calls out initially the five that this, this guy is keeping. And he leaves out the problem area to make the guy identify it himself. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, I thought it was very clever. It is, it is rather clever. And I like the way, I like the way that he, I like the way that he addresses the question, kind of the way it's answers. Like you're looking for a formula, but here's the formula you already know. So what are you doing that? So Karen, thanks for pointing that out. Cause I actually didn't notice that. Um, and also what strikes me from what you just said is that's exactly what Paul wrote about, right? Like that's the one that Paul kept getting hung up on. And so when he's identifying himself as a sinner, he brings that up and he is very much like the apostle Paul is very much like the rich young ruler. Like I'm doing everything right. Mm. Oh, I've never met Jesus, you know? So that was, yeah, that was insightful. Yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting as the guy says, well, I've done all this. It's it's Jesus. I think the man. I wrote in my notes that he knows he's lacking something, but I got to change my my mind on that because I think he feels that he's lacking something or maybe he does. You know, he is he is recognizing that he's lacking something, but he thinks it's something that he needs to do. He has recognized that. I haven't earned that. I haven't, I, I don't feel like I deserve to be there yet. I want to be there. So I got to know what I need to do more. I I think of this as he's done the right things, 
but his heart isn't full and he knows it's supposed to be different and he's trying to figure out what the difference is because he genuinely wants to serve. Yeah, I agree. I have written in my notes too that I think you have to look at the environment because that is the environment that the Pharisees and the Sadducees set up that, you know what, by doing everything, doing, trying to keep all the laws that you could obtain it. And I think deep down he knows that he's he's lacking, kind of like what Karen said. But, you know, I also like going the way Jesus went at it is he didn't he didn't crush him by just coming right out and saying, this is what you're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. He gave him what he's well, this is what you're doing now. What else do you think you need to be doing? Mm -hmm. It was almost that positive spin on it instead of instead of breaking the person down and making him feel bad. He's he's still lifting him up by saying you're doing all these things. But you're still missing one thing. Yeah, sort of like your heart's in the right place. You're sort of looking in the right direction, You're but almost there. Al- almost there. Yeah, and yeah, the the things that like Karen said were left out. The coveting was it Karen? Yeah, I think it was you. The coveting, but also then the whole part about yeah, those whole four first four about about loving God. So to what Tracy said, it is you know Jesus. It says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him, mm-hmm. and so. There is that sense in which, um, you know, Jesus doesn't love him because he's keeping the commandments. He doesn't love him because he's doing all the right things, but because his heart is drawn to God. And so there is that sense of what Tracy just said. Yeah. So I find it interesting the way that Jesus answers questions largely in the manner that they are asked of him. You know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What's the formula here? And so Jesus, he he kind of starts to hand him a formula. It's like, well, if you're looking for a formula, we can talk about formulas. But then as we'll see, there's an underlying piece that has to has to be lifting up the formula for anything of it to matter. Um, in Colossians, Paul addresses basically this entire conversation. He's not talking about this man, but he talks about this problem. Like you're doing some of the things you know in your heart something's still missing. What is it, right? And he says, um, this is in Colossians 3, starting in verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, which, of course, is the crooks of the problem, Mm -hmm. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Mm -hmm. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Well, the answer that Jesus gives him is like, well, part of your formula, and this is the thing, that I think Jesus is is approaching here. He doesn't come right out and say it, but as part of your formula is that you need to go sell everything, give all the proceeds to the poor, and then come follow me. So, this, you know, you need to give up the stuff. But then I think the bigger part is you need to follow me, Jesus. If he had had an actual relationship with Jesus, it might have been easier for him. But... Because he was so inward focused, his relationship with God uh, was suffering. And so it made this thing that Jesus is asking of him like a virtual impossibility. I have verse 23 in my notes here for some reason. So I want to look at that here real quick. Oh, when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. He wanted to do this, but he was he was clinging on to his accomplishments. 
he well, thought he was clinging on to was his comfort results. Zone. Oh, what'd you say, Karen? I said, I think what he was clinging on to was earthly results. Yes, that comfort zone. You know how people say, oh, I have to have this and this and this mm -hmm. monetarily, or I need to feel this and this and this way financially before I feel comfortable. Yeah. That's where I think he was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we'll, you'll be in church and and you know, someone will express a need. We need, you know, we need someone to teach children. We need someone to, uh, you know, work in the kitchen. We need someone to do this, that, or the other. And a lot of times, you'll hear people saying, "Yeah, that's that's not really in my comfort zone." And I'm guilty of it, you know, going out and actively handing things to the poor, you know, after church. That's that happens uh, at our church occasionally, and then I go. Yeah, I don't know if I've you know, how comfortable I feel about doing it. I've done it, and I ends up being fine, you know. Um, but sometimes that'll get to the point where it just people are just like, "Yeah, no, I can't do that," you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had potluck at church yesterday, and and uh, one of our one of our friends, her name is Sarah, not to call her out, but um, she always asks me to pray before we eat at potluck, and I said, "Well, you could do it." Oh no 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 no! I was like. It's okay. Jesus will listen to you. No, no, no. <laughs> so it's like, so I go, okay. <laughs> well, you know, I go pray. It's but, not the Jesus end that's the problem with that, Matt. It's the I know that. praying in front of other people. Oh, I know that. I know that. But but the the point the point being that that what like what Jesus is saying here, it's not obviously it's not exactly the same situation. But letting go of the things that keep us comfortable in order to serve, in order to express and it's not that it's on us but we've got to be willing to let some, some things go sometimes and and just simply move forward you know i have in my notes too that it was my feeling was was that he was comfortable in the world mm. mm -hmm. he had made his he had laid up his treasures here and yeah. he was comfortable with it and yeah. Jesus was saying, you know what, don't it's don't be comfortable down here. Let it all go and follow me because this is eternal. Mm -hmm. where, I'm, where I'm going is eternal and yeah. where I want to take you is eternal. Yeah. And on that note, you know, I'm talking about this friend, Sarah, you know, she may not want to pray in front of people, but she is one of the first to want to go out and feed the hungry and 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 serve. And she's one of the most humble women you'll ever meet. And and uh, I I am. I am inspired by her every time I talk to her and meet her. So, so don't look like, think like I'm looking down on her. I'm not that, I'm not the, the Pharisee up on the, up on the roof. <laughs> looking down at somebody else for not wanting to pray in public. It's, it's just a, it's just a, it was just an example of, of uh, comforts. But, um, but yeah, so Jesus does say, you got to sell everything and, and come follow me. And, you know, this man thought he was going to be saved by religion. He thought, you know, I'm going to be saved by doing stuff. I'm going to be saved by by keeping the laws. I'm going to be saved by my actions. I'm going to earn my way into it. And um, I think the final takeaway of this whole thing is that what Jesus is giving here is like this is not the formula to get into heaven. The formula is not that every one of us needs to go sell everything we have, give everything to the poor, and then devote our lives to poverty. You know, we don't have to live in poverty to serve Jesus. This man, Jesus is speaking to this, to him, 
And specifically, this is what you need to do. You need to be willing to let it all go. Well, and, and, you know, really, that is what we're all called to do. We need to be willing to let it all go and follow Jesus. It's not to say that the formula for getting into heaven is being poor. And, and I agree with you there that it's it's an individual process. Mm-hmm. Everybody's at a different place. Mm-hmm. That if it was somebody else, it could have been something different. He could have named off six other things that maybe the other person wasn't doing and going from there. So it is very much individualized. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I go, go ahead. Oh, because I, I feel too, if people think there's a formula being a chemist by nature, that's the test of of formula that you could repeat it and get the same results every single time. Mm -hmm. And it's not like that with Christianity. Right. Right. Yeah. Every one of us, I think Jesus would have a different answer for each one of us to, uh, you know, this is just putting my cards on the table. To me, he would probably say I had to do something to deal with pride. Um, you know, and every one of us around the table could probably, if we think about it, we could probably go, yeah, he would probably want me to do X, you know, or something yeah. something to, to address something. So to what Tracy said, yes, it's it can't be a formula because that formula would imply that it's like magic. I can make this happen by doing such and such. And, you know, we know that it has to be relationship. Jesus makes that very, very, very clear. Um, It has to be reliance on God. But um, to another thing that Tracy said, you know, the, the key thing here is this man is living in the world. Like, even though he's an honorable and religious man, he has his eyes on this world and he's content with what's here. And, you know, like that's that's so blind to he cannot see that the kingdom of God, this fabulous thing that the mind can't even imagine, uh, is standing in front of him like he could know God. He could know and receive the presence of the living God. And instead he's choosing this world and a few trinkets that are going to last him 70 years. Mm. And wow. Yeah. To what you said, Tracy, I I really, that resonated with me because I feel like that's the mistake we make. That is right there. The mistake we make. Yep. And that's why we let Tracy on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Let me, let me be on this train for how many episodes? One ninety. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're we're at this point. We're into the two hundreds. So, <laughs> look what so, it says in verse twenty three. And he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. But that also, too, I haven't highlighted though. But that's where his heart was. Yeah. 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 He wanted to. He wanted to hang on to all of this, and be able to be in the kingdom. Be in well. You know, and when we say be in the kingdom, so often we're talking about being, but he's talking about eternal life. And so he's looking for the reward, you know, on top of what he's already got. So that makes me think, I know it's jumping ahead a little bit, but that really makes me think about Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus makes the opposite choice. Zacchaeus is also very rich. Mm. And Zacchaeus is like, I saw Jesus. I'm giving it all back. I don't care. Like, I want the kingdom of God above all things. So mm-hmm. he is unique in scripture because he's someone who throws it all away once he meets Jesus. I have a question for you too, because I have, it's funny that you mentioned that, but I have him written down too. Do you? Oh. Yes. But the thing is, I look at him, mm-hmm. that wasn't a glamorous position. 
No. He was ridiculed by his people. He was an, an outsider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People didn't want to sit with him. People didn't want to eat with him because he was basically core hoding. Now I just <laughs> got stuck. That's a new one. word. <laughs> <laughs> he was cohorting with the enemy. Right. And he yeah. was like, you know what? I will give this all away to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a little bit to be with my people. But yeah. he was still on the outside being with Jesus. But I think it was that love of Jesus that brought him into the fold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting how we can come to Jesus from both sides of that of that picture? We can we can come in from a position of having much and from a position or from a position of having essentially little. I mean, I know he was like you say, Zacchaeus was rich, but yet he didn't have he didn't have the status. He didn't have that. And so he's willing to give up all that because it's like, I don't have anything anyway. Whereas the other guy comes and wants to do more. But, you know, it's I don't know. It's just interesting to me how Jesus is able to say, yeah, you can both come. Yeah, I, I I like what you pointed out there, Tracy. Like this this guy in in eighteen, he has the full approval. He's gotten wealthy following Jewish law. He's got position and full societal approval. Zacchaeus was he was a little bit more on the fringe. He was working for the enemy among his people. Um, but what I actually wanted to point out was a few chapters ago in Luke twelve, we read this the parable of the rich fool which is where, you know, the guy says, oh, well, I had this abundant harvest. What shall I do? I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and I'll store my surplus. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And the, and the clincher, right, the final verse is, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So it's not the possession of earthly things that's the problem. It's the prioritization, which is idolization. You got to stay rich towards God. Yeah. But how do we look at that today? Do, do we look at that as being bad, as having all these material things? Because I think we mentioned it before that it's not the material things. It's where you prioritize them. But sometimes I think, too, as the bigger picture, just like they did in those days, it's do they want you to be poor and have no money? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you I know, think it, in the church scenario of nowadays is it's like if you have money, then you know what? You don't need anything. You're where you need to be. And really, that's not the gauge. Right. Right. Well, and Jesus kind of addresses that in the next section there. But uh and, and we'll certainly get into that because, yeah, you know, that's when we start thinking formula. So to what you're saying, I think we do make that mistake. Like religious people want there to be a formula. And one of the things that can fall under formula is, you know, be poor. Um, and yet the Bible repeatedly brings up stuff like, you know, when we enter the kingdom of heaven, we will be given crowns. Um, we're going to be given mansions, which he's been working on now for some time. You know, there's there's this sense of the wealth of the children of the kingdom of heaven. There is a, um, and but the the thing is, is that nobody gets there who is seeking those things. Nobody. Right. Like if you're looking for crowns and mansions, you're not you're not going. Um, right. if you're looking for Jesus, that's like a, a thing that will also happen, 
um, like a side effect of your relationship with him. But I wanted to go back real quick to Zacchaeus and, and talk about the fact that he is like you were discussing, I think Tracy, he's a faulty man who is an outcast in a way. And I wonder how many times in our lives, the trouble that we have in life, like that one thing that's holding us back or that we feel like, I hate that one thing. Maybe that's our way back to God. And we don't always see that. Like we don't always see that, you know, in Zacchaeus's case, his being somewhat outcast when he sees a way back, which is Jesus, he takes it. Like he doesn't want all this wealth in part because it has brought him this outcast status. And, and that's how Jesus can use everything, even those nasty, gross things that only we know about. And he can take that and he can say, you want me to, you want me to change that for you? I can show you a way out. So I really love what you're, what you're saying about Zacchaeus, because that probably was a factor that made it different for him than for the rich young ruler. See, and, and I like what we're saying, too, now, is that we're looking at it and we're saying, you know, if your eyes aren't focused on Jesus, then, you know, you're you're missing, you're missing out. And when you think of think of heaven, you're thinking of the the treasure. But I think we said a few episodes back and it always sticks with me. It's like you're wanting this gold on earth to somehow take it to heaven but you get there and somebody says, why did you bring pavement from the street? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Cause right. that means nothing. It's like, yeah. you should be just jumping for joy that you, that you made it and you're going to be with your savior. But we, mm. we confuse that. We look at, Oh, you know, my crown, my riches. No, if you're thinking along those lines, you're still missing the point. Yeah. It's I'm here and I'm with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with his other followers. And, you know, we can trivialize that even in our minds, even as we say it, oh, I'm here with Jesus. But, you know, if you stop to think about what that means, I'm here with Jesus. We're here, you're here with the creator of the universe. You are here mm-hmm. to talk to the creator. You're able to talk to the creator face to face, the most powerful being in the universe. And and you are able to talk to him face to face, shake his hand, hug him do things with him, uh, a collaboration. It, it's, you know, it's a, it's astounding what, what he's calling us into. And it's not just, I've got a mansion over the hilltop, you know, the, you, you know, the hymn. Uh, and if you, if you read, listen to that hymn, it's all, a, that hymn is all about what I'm going to get. You know, it's really, if you get right down to the bottom of that one, it's like, that's not a very good hymn because it's nothing about the relationship with Jesus. It's all about what reward I'm looking for. And, um, you know, I grew up singing that song and I kind of liked it, but it was pointed out to me a while back. It's like, yeah, that, that hymn really has nothing to do with, with your relationship with God at all. I've got a train coming in, so I need to say this so I can okay. mute. Well, let's in do that. 1 Thessalonians 4, there's this great description of what the second coming will be like. And it wraps up by saying, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Yeah. Amen. And that's yep. the point. Like, that's the point right there. Yep. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Being, being you, you brought the, the train, Karen. <laughs> I love that verse in Revelation that says, and God will dwell again with men. 
and mm. you're like, yes, yep. that's mm-hmm. that's the point. That like, is that is the point. Restored. It'll be restored. That that walking in the garden with him will be completely yeah. restored. Yeah. And yeah, there's gonna be lots of great stuff too, but it's it's gonna be you're hanging out with your very, very, very best friend. And right. and and yeah, your best friend happens to have a bunch of cool stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jesus sort of does address this whole thing because he's and, and this is where I think people get the idea then that that having money is detrimental to Christianity because Jesus says it's it's yeah, he, he basically he's saying it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we've already, you know, I have in my notes, will money keep you out? Well, we've already addressed that. It's not about the money. It's not, it, it, it's about attitude. It's about, it's about, um, it, it's just about you, where your focus is. And, but we, we will read that and we'll be like, oh, well, rich people, there's just no way they can do it. You got, you got to give everything up. You got to be poor. You got to have poverty. But that's really not what Jesus is saying at all. It's what's your focus? So, yes, I agree with what you're saying, but I also think, you know, it was Jesus who said, remember Lot's wife. And mm-hmm. and we have to keep in mind that this world can blind us. Like, we can yeah. get stuck in our material possessions. We can mm-hmm. think this matters, and this doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. in, our, in the grand scheme of things, this is an illusion. And it's very important that we, even though I completely agree, God mm-hmm. is the source of our material blessings. And he is the one who, you know, the the old Testament says he is the one who makes you to get wealth. He makes the grass grow. He makes our crops, you know, productive. He, all of these things are gifts from, from God. So if we can keep it in that perspective, that's healthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if we lose sight of what, of that, and we start thinking, I have to preserve this at all costs and um, I'll do evil in order to maintain my stuff, um, then you're in trouble. Yeah. And you know, it's, it is a sort of funny because you'll, you'll see the flip side of this within Christianity too, because people will take this verse and they'll say, well, what Jesus was really talking about was this one particular gate where a camel would have to, you'd have to get the camel down low, like on its knees and scoot, you know, and uh, some of the notes I'm reading here was that, no, that is not the case at all. People are looking for, they're, again, they're looking for a loophole. They're like, well, Jesus isn't saying that it's like, you know, impossible. He's just saying it's really hard. And, but no, he was making an actual analogy about, mm-hmm. yeah, try to stick that camel through this teeny tiny little needle, this, this mm-hmm. eye of this needle. This is what he's talking about. He's yep. like, that is incredibly hard. Because our focus tends to be on the earthly things. But he goes on and he says the things because the because the, the I think the apostles that are with him, the disciples with him, they understand full well what he's saying is like, that's an impossibility. How can anybody possibly do that? They say, who can be saved? And then Jesus says the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So. It is possible for a rich person to make it into heaven because they're going to get God's help doing it. If they're going to turn to God, they're going to rely on God. They're going to put everything of their being into their relationship with God. 
then God, yes, then God can, can, can pull them through. He can pull that camel through that eye of that needle just fine. So I want to see what you guys have to say about verses um, 28 through 30. Like those are interesting verses. And of course I've seen them all my life, but they are, I kind of want to discuss those. Well, yeah, because Peter's says he Peter's coming out. You know, yes, I, I, there's. Yeah, Peter's kind uh, of yeah, funny. Possible. Peter's like, hey, I left everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's like, well, I, yeah. So funny. He's. I think he's getting it. He's like, well, I, I left everything. But if you look at it in um, one of the other gospels, it's kind of like, well, we left everything with you. So what do we get out of this? Oh, um, no, I know. Peter's fine. <laughs> and, and that Jesus comes back with, with um, you know, anybody who's left these things is going to be tremendously rewarded. Is this the time to point out that Peter lives with his mother-in-law and so possibly the size of his <laughs> gift was diminished? <laughs> Ouch. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's just um, an idea. <laughs> yeah, the way the way Jesus puts it is, let me just read what Jesus says, because he says, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So Jesus is to say, yeah, if you've left everything, there's reward. There is reward to be had. Just again, kind of addressing the question as Peter asks it. Um, it's like, you know, yeah, you're there. There's reward to be had. But again, it's, you know, our, it's like, Peter, did you not get the lesson here? Is that what you're looking for? You're looking for reward. Are you looking for, are you looking for stuff? Um, I, you... I feel like he doesn't call Peter out though. Like he, no. he knows Peter's heart and he, and Peter is following him. Like Peter loves Jesus and he's, he's a mess and he's full <laughs> of himself. And there's a lot, you know, to be said for Peter uh, being kind of a mess. Um, but I also feel like Jesus doesn't really call him out in this passage. He says, yes, I know. And you mm. will receive a hundredfold of what yeah. you've left behind. And and I, I think about that in my Christian walk. Like this is this is interesting to me because I do have family that has rejected me um, because of my beliefs. Like, I mean, I don't know if you guys have had that experience, but I have family who's like, our relationship is strained and difficult and, or I don't even see some of them anymore. Um, mm. And, and, but yet I know that I have these fantastic relationships that come from brothers and sisters in Christ. So I kind of, I feel like that's kind of neat what he's saying mm-hmm. there. Yeah, because he's not just saying, yeah, you're going to get rewards in the future. He, it's not like, right. it's not like he's just dangling a carrot. Like, well, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Right. He's saying, you'll, you're going to get reward right now. In and this so, age. In this age. So like you're saying, okay, yeah, you've got strained relationship with your blood family. But you've got new family with a with a church family. You've you've got other people who do support you and and rally around you and lift you up, and right. and, and and yeah. So there is reward to be had right now. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of a matter of what's the reward. Well, you know, what's the reward you're looking for? 
you know, I think that's that's the whole key. It's like, what kind of reward are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Because I think we just get caught up in 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 that and that Amy brought up a good point is and you as well. It's like it could be those relationships, the reward for having those kind of relationships, maybe even outside of your family that you have at church. It could be that you make it to heaven, but you're going to be with Jesus the entire time. But we always I think we fall into it sometimes as we look for monetary things. We look at gold, we look at silver, we look at mansions, and it's not that. You know what I mean? We get caught in that the world perspective. You know, yeah. is there going to be a bank account in heaven? I doubt it. Yeah, who, who needs it? We don't need it. <laughs> yeah, it's so you know, even those rewards now, you know, we spend, have you ever found yourself, I don't know if my family's going to be listening to this, but have you ever had times when you're sitting there at a Thanksgiving meal surrounded by, by your blood family or your in-laws or whatever and go, and, and thought, perhaps it would have been a little better if you were with your church family that day, you know, <laughs> you know, so sometimes, sometimes those, those relationships with your blood family aren't so hot. And that doesn't even mean that you're, you know, uh, aggressive to each other, but sometimes you just get closer to your church family than you do with your blood family. And, you know, I, well, I think I, you oftentimes have more in common mm-hmm. and that's just a dynamic of that's a family you chose. At least that that's kind of how I see it. Like we don't choose our blood family. There's a bond there that can't be replaced mm-hmm. because they've known us the longest of anyone on earth and they know us well simply by that. I think that prolonged proximity, you just learn a lot about people, but your church family, like you choose them. And like within mm-hmm. the larger body of the, whatever your local church family looks like, there's the few that you get along really, really well. And so you've really chosen them. Like they're kind of can be, they can end up your inner circle. So mm-hmm. yeah, I got, I got plenty of room for that in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jesus addressing Peter's question is, is uh, it's, it's kind of cool the way he does it. It's like, yeah, you, there's reward now and there's eternal reward uh, how does he put Does he say you'll receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life? So it's like, yeah, whatever you're giving up now, trust me, it's worth it. Don't worry about it, Peter. And, you know, I don't I don't get the impression that Peter's like, well, if I'm not going to get something out of this, I'm not going to keep following Jesus. I do think that Peter is dedicated to Jesus. And I mean, to Jesus at this point. He's not just looking for a reward, but he's just, it's just a, it's kind of just a question of curiosity and Jesus is just giving him reassurance. Don't worry, don't worry about it, Peter. You're going to be fine. <clears throat> well, the next section of this, <laughs> it's, it's one of those times when I just, I, I just want to take some of the apostles and be like, give them a little pat on the head, you know, a little slap across the face. It's like, don't you pay attention at all. But Jesus takes the 12. So it says he takes the 12 aside and, and starts to describe to them, look, we're going to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem, you're going to see me. He doesn't say me. He says, you're going to see the son of man, but you, the son of man is going to be everything that the prophets have said are going to be accomplished. Um, I'm going to be, I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be insulted. I'm going to be spit upon. Uh, they're going to scourge me and they're going to kill me. And then in three days, I'm going to rise again. And the apostles do not understand what he's saying. It seems to me right there, Jesus could not have been more direct in what he was trying to tell them. 
and yet they they didn't understand what he was saying, and that baffles me. And I I, I just it's one of those state situations where I just wonder why couldn't they understand such a direct statement? Why couldn't they understand? Jesus says we're gonna we're gonna go to Jerusalem, and I'm gonna be tortured, and I'm gonna be killed. I suppose when you get to the part of and I'm going to come back from the dead after three days, uh, then then, you know, that part might take them aback a little bit because I could only assume that at this point, even though, yes, there has been an admission that, yes, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. The idea of coming back from the dead. Is. That's pretty astounding. That's like pretty extreme. Yeah, because he's not around to raise himself. So, well, yeah, because they have seen people come back from the dead, but the idea, you know, and maybe through they Jesus believe in, power. yeah, through his power of doing it. And so, so if maybe, Jesus is the one that's dead, yeah, so maybe they're going. What do you mean? You know, who's who's going to do it? Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. That's it's very interesting to me. I've it written down. That's what I don't think they could see the threshold. They cr- cross that threshold right then from worldly. Because they're with Jesus and they're seeing all these miracles and they're seeing these great things and they they see the power that he has, but they're still clinging on to a little bit of the world where they're still looking for that earthly kingdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the thought of him, the thought of the world persecuting him unto death, I don't think they're ready for. That's why I don't think that's in their their minds at that point. Because they're still clinging to that worldly aspect of, of, of Jesus, but they haven't seen the end game to it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, you know where I'm going with that. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know they could be seeing. Okay, we're going. You know, if they're recognizing some of the, you know, we're going in to Jerusalem. It's going to be Passover time. They know what Passover means. Um, they, you know, they have a pretty good idea of that idea of of you know. Re- redemption and salvation and if but if they're still looking at it from that worldly perspective they might be thinking this is the time that jesus is supposed to go in and declare himself king and take over everything right and this is our worldly kingdom and jesus is saying i'm gonna go in and i'm gonna die and they're going what yeah 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 i don't i don't really see them going what i see them like when when you tell a small child something that's too big for their mind they just wash it away they don't even mm. hear it. And and so I think that they're they're hearing we're going up to Jerusalem. And then verse 34 says, and they understood none of these things. And yeah. the saying was hidden from them. What does that mean? And they neither knew the things uh, that which were spoken of them, uh, which were spoken like they couldn't comprehend it. They could not comprehend it. So that's that's freaky. Yeah, it's it's just one of those situ those those deals where I just I wonder because that you know when once we see the Holy Spirit come, you know, Jesus says it's better that I go so that you'll have the Holy Spirit. And then it seems like then understanding comes on people. Yeah. Where we're where we are able to grasp things that they couldn't. And I don't know if it's just because we've read the end of the book or or if somehow the spirit works with us in ways that he didn't before Jesus's uh, 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 coming and, and ascension. I, I, I don't know. I haven't put my brain around it yet, but somehow we are granted something that they didn't have. So I think there's a few things that go into it. And, you know, if they, if the things, if the meaning was hidden from them, that to me is the Holy Spirit working. He said mm-hmm. the words to them. 
But what if they had taken him seriously and then they tried to intervene in prophecy? Like when Peter gets the idea that they're actually going to take Jesus, he turns violent in a second. He is willing to go to war for Jesus. Mm-hmm. But this is this is prophecy. This is the gospel being unfolded. It needs to happen. So I think that's one element of it. Um, another element of it is exactly what you guys were talking about, like this this huge wave of cognitive dissonance. Like they have one perception of what the kingdom is of God would be like and who the enemy is and what triumph and salvation means. And all the way past his resurrection, they're still caught up in that. Oh, hey, you're back from the dead. That's great. Are you going to take care of the Romans for us now? And he's like, no, I'm I'm going back to heaven where my actual kingdom is, right? So that's another aspect of it. And there's and then one of the things that helps give us perspective is the ability to go back and reread this as the scriptures time and time again over years as our perspective changes. And we understand the breadth and depth and all of that of the kingdom of God. These people heard this once in a conversation. And not only did it jangle horribly against what they thought salvation meant, but the Holy Spirit was working to hide it from them. We can look this up and read it however many times in whatever gospel it's repeated until we understand the kingdom of God wasn't there. It's over here. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think there's a few things working for us that we're working against them. So that's a super good point because... You know, they did. They heard it once or, you know, they heard it that day. And but they're the ones that wrote it down. Like they're the ones that told Luke. Right. So um, so they remembered these stories and Luke collected the stories. And so they do remember it probably through the power of the Holy Spirit later. Um, But it is an interesting thing that they just could not comprehend what he was saying. It's crazy. Yeah, I wanted to say that. Yeah, this is stated in very simple, straightforward language, and 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 they can't understand. So I do think one other thing is important to point out here. Do you guys remember the story of Emmaus Way? Absolutely, I love. So after the resurrection, um, Jesus appears to Mm -hmm. hit some of his followers, and they are kept from recognizing him. And it says that he ex- he showed himself to them through Moses and the prophets. Mm-hmm. So if he's going away, they, his followers left behind, need to be able to recognize him through the scriptures. And so in that moment, he hides his identity so that he can show them himself in a way that they can use after he's gone. Right. If I have a leader, the leader of the kingdom that I love is standing right in front of me and he's leaving. But all I have are his immediate words. And if I get confused about something, I just turn to him and say, well, what does this mean? Where does that leave me if he goes? And so he primed he primed his followers in multiple ways to have the Bible in place of him after he left. Well, and I think that's yeah, that was also. What I love about that story on the road to Emmaus is he is proving to them out of the scriptures. This was all planned. I, I knew this was coming. You didn't. Like, you couldn't even understand it when you saw it. But yeah. 
uh, it was under my control from the foundation of the world. Yeah, I was able to show them after everything happens. And, and, and look, this is how what was supposed to happen. It's how it happened. And and you shouldn't have you shouldn't have been surprised. But because your perspective was, you know, you were looking over here instead of over here. Um, you, you, you were sort of missing the whole thing. And it's interesting to me, though, too, that faithful Jews today I'm not talking Messianic Jews. I'm talking faithful, you know, Orthodox, Orthodox Jews. They are still looking for the Messiah to come to do what these guys were thinking the Messiah was going to do. Yeah. And, and um, you know, that's an interesting little piece of the puzzle to me, too, because it has me thinking, well, how is the Holy Spirit working with them now? You know, we do know that sometimes Jewish people will convert. Um, but some of them get very, very entrenched into the idea that Messiah has not come. We're looking for a military or political leader to come to free us from, quote unquote, Rome. And, and the kingdom will be here on Earth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Here and yeah. Yeah. This Earth right now. The what we it, we're going to change it all. It'll all be changed um, through that. And uh, it's just very interesting because because if we look at it in those through those uh, Christian goggles and we go, yeah, Jesus fulfilled that here. Jesus fulfilled that here. Jesus fulfilled that here. And, and uh, we can see like those guys on the road to Emmaus that, that Jesus is that fulfillment of that. But if you, if you refuse to look at that, then you're missing the whole thing, missing it all. Well, this last little piece of Luke 18 then, um, it's just a, it's an interesting little oh, soundbite of a story, really, uh, of of a blind beggar who learns that Jesus is coming, and so he starts crying out to to Jesus. And so some of the some of the people following Jesus tell this, why would you do this? You're following Jesus. Why are you going to tell this blind guy to be quiet? Don't you know what Jesus is going to do? But um, some of them tell him to be quiet, but he just, he's persistent. He cries out even more, just like when we were talking about the, the persistent widow. You know, he doesn't give up just because he finds a little opposition. He cries out even more. Jesus has him brought over. Well, what do you want me to do for you? And so the beggar asks for his sight. And this is the second time we've seen somebody get uh, healed by Jesus, uh, sight healed. But this time, rather than making mud with spit, Jesus just says, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. So there's, a, there's some interesting bits there that I find are interesting. Because this is Luke's rendition of this, of a blind man receiving his sight. Uh, Matthew actually gives the same story. And as you read it, there's enough, there's enough similarities. I think it's the same story. But in Matthew's version, there's two blind men. And he says that Jesus touches their eyes. And Mark gives gives us the name of the blind man, Bartimaeus. But it's interesting. What's really interesting to me here so much is not the discrepancy of over who, how many guys were here, but it's sort of the way and the way Jesus does it without making the big show of the spit and all that. So <clears throat> I like what you're saying, but you're ahead of where I wanted to be right now. I, I want to <laughs> go back to the fact that he, you know, those around him are rebuking him and they're telling him, hold your peace, be quiet, be quiet. And it, and it literally says, and so he cried the more, yeah. son of David, have mercy on me. Mm -hmm. Like he is, he is, he knows this is his chance. And man, I love that. That brings tears to my eyes. I just mm -hmm. love that. 
yeah, this is my this is my shot. I have the opportunity right now, and I'm not going to give it up. Right. And, Jesus uh, and, is here now. I'm not yeah. missing this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I yeah, and I do think that 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 kind of speaks to that persistence. Keep asking. Keep don't let a little hardship stop you. You know, and I and I think sort of that's it's sort of speaking a little bit to that whole that whole concept of prayer to begin with. It's if you want to get into the will of God, into the and I don't mean earn his will, earn his graces. I just mean if you want to be it within the will of God, you've got to keep persistently pursuing that. You have to you have to um not give up at the first at the first sign of opposition or at the first sign that I may not be getting what I want. Um certainly the other part of this though is that you know these are the followers of Jesus telling the guy to be quiet. You know what what is the deal with our with the church members sometimes being back off, don't get too close to Jesus. Uh you know towards people who really need him. Um it's it's a it's a sad state of affairs that that, that happens. And it is yeah, it's absolutely embarrassing uh that I, that some I, church will do that. Well, I know that that will happen. I know that's a thing, but I also, I, I feel like, no, these are people in Jericho. These are just people who came out to hear him. Mm. I, I don't the, think, I don't think that's the disciples. Do you guys? Let me, let me, let me look at it real quick. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, he was coming to Jericho. Hearing a multitude pass oh, by. It's the, it's those who led the way. Those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. So whoever's leading the way, um, you know, I, when I was reading that, I was taking it to be disciples. But maybe it's maybe it's like Amy is saying, that, hey, Jesus is here in town. Check it out. You know, and, yeah. and, and, when he and heard and, the crowd going by. He asked what was happening and they told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Yeah. Yeah. So but, you know, it is people who are proclaiming Jesus, but while at the same time being like, Hey man, back off! You know, you, you what do you just shut up and 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 stay quiet over there? And and he's he's like, no, no, absolutely not! I have a shot with Jesus right here, and I'm going to take it. And and Jesus's response is, well, then come on over, you know. So, but uh, but isn't that the reward though? Mm-hmm. When when you lay everything out on the line and you have no other hope, then you cry out. That has been the that has been the the mission. From the beginning, he gets people where they're they're at their lowest and they have their the most faith that they're willing to put this whole world aside and reach for the Savior. Because only if I touch just the hem of his garment, I'll be okay. Mm. I'll mm-hmm. fight this crowd. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll get on my hands and knees and, and crawl just to touch the hem of his garment. And this is basically the same thing is that somebody's crying out from the from the uh, the crowd. No, I need to get there. This is my last hope. Well, and we're coming up on the interesting story of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus doesn't even cry out. Like, he just wants to see him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He does, mm-hmm. Zacchaeus does everything he's doing. He just wants to lay eyes on him. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And th- this is the persistence. The persistence isn't in begging God for whatever it is you want. The persistence is just... Wanting to be with him, wanting to be in his presence. If we if we need something from him, we understand it's got to come from him. If you understand it's got to come from him, then you don't want to give up pursuing him for it. So that's an excellent point, Matt, because I feel like 
this is insightful about what faith is because this guy is so sure that Jesus has what he needs that he's like making a fool out of himself. I'd like a total fool out of himself. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's, but he's not going to give up because Jesus has what he needs and he will not stop. See that. And I think that's what it is too. Is that when, when all you have left is faith, that that's, that's all you have left. And, and it's your, your last hope and that you're willing to forsake everything on this world, what people think of you, if you're going across cultural lines where you weren't supposed to interact with people, that that's where your faith is taking you. That you only look towards your savior. That's it. Wouldn't it be nice if we were willing to be that desperate for our savior without having exhausted all our own resources first? Right. Yeah. That's sort of what I was thinking too. Why do we, why do we, tend to make that our last resort and even within our language here we're like it's all i have left is jesus no that's what you have is jesus you know if that was if that was our first thought of he is the resource we have but you know even even with us as lifetime christians sometimes we go he's all i got left isn't that human nature though oh yeah you know i look back at my my early walk when um i was 18 and and going to the Navy and my prayer life and my faith was probably never more than it was in, in boot camp. Mm. <laughs> you, because you oh, have right. nothing, you know, mm. they're breaking you down and from being an individual to nothing. But I think my mind was like, I'm never nothing. Cause I always have Jesus. And if I could pray every single day, then that's my hope. But yeah. then I, I, I also look back and when I came home, I was back into my comfort zone, something we had talked about earlier today, and then the prayer falls off. You know, I think that's just such human nature that that now it's like, no, I'm going to pray all the time through good, through bad. We just had a sermon um, yesterday that said, you know what, I have to go through all these trials. I have to go through all these tribulations because then I look back and go, you know what, God carried me the entire way through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was something I was going to address too. Is you know sometimes people want to say, "Oh, why is this bad stuff happening to me?" Well, it may just be that you need to be broken down so that you do finally recognize your need, uh, and uh, because that is our that's our tendency is for that to be our last resort. And and Jesus is like, "Well, if I'm going to be your last resort, then we're going to make we're, we're going to make me your last resort." So all of that makes me think of that Robin Williams when he's doing Aladdin, right? Ultimate cosmic power. (laughs) And we're thinking, that's my last resort. And you're like, why are we so blind? Why can we not see he has ultimate cosmic power? Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Hey, you spoke my language there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Cartoons. (laughs) I was remembering the, um, the section in Revelation where it talks about the church of Laodicea. Mm. lukewarm and complacent and I am rich and increasing goods and have need of nothing. And they don't know that they're poor and blind and wretched and naked. Right. So Mm -hmm. again, we know that our, our last phase of the church will slide into earthly complacency. No earthly comfort, which leads to spiritual complacency. That's what I was trying to say, Mm -hmm. because 
we lower our gaze from where it should be to the things that are around us and we go, oh, look, I've got everything I need. Whew. All right. I can relax now. So easy to slide into. Mm-hmm. Well, it is because we tend to look at what's right in front of us and we get distracted by the shiny thing off in the corner. And, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, while while we have a longing for eternity, we really don't grasp what it means, maybe. And uh, a lot to contemplate. I want to tell you guys this story. This is from COVID. So during COVID, my daughter worked in a Starbucks and um, she was the acting manager of it because the there had been a some sort of kerfuffle with the actual manager. And she worked all the way through COVID, went in. Um, a lot of their staff is um, students, you know, they're attending university. They want the fact that you if you work there 20 hours, you get full benefits. But then schools closed. So they went home and then the stores closed and you could only do drive through. Right. So mm -hmm. most of the staff were gone and it was down to just my kiddo and, you know, one or two other people doing all the, the things. This is this. She told me this example from modern society, and it was sweet that she got to be part of it. And at the same time, it was kind of horrifying. So check this out. She said that people during COVID were so disrupted that when you would hand them their drink through the window, a lot of times they would tear up. Hmm. Everything that they knew and loved and made them comfortable was gone. And the fact that they could still go get a cup of coffee how they wanted it was enough to bring them to tears. <laughs> so what does that tell you about how attached to our, our comforts we actually are? The stripping away of that is very, very miserable. And it, it, it has probably happened to all of us in different ways. I know I can reach out and put a finger exactly on when I learned a very harsh version of that lesson. It's like the here and now isn't what's important. It's the thing. It's actually the thing that's unseen that's important. Do you have your gaze fixed on it? But she just she was she felt happy. She was glad to be able to provide people comfort during that time when everything was uncomfortable. And she had mm -hmm. she had no fear, you know, she wasn't worried she was gonna catch COVID and die or anything like that. She was fine, she was fine working on the front lines like that. But she, and she was happy for that. But what does that tell you about how fragile people's mindset is? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I need these things, I need these things. <laughs> well look yeah look at the way people hoarded toilet paper uh, you know a, a, a simple uh, comfort really i mean it wasn't a necessity but uh, not not, okay. not in the strictest not in the strictest sense you know but mm -hmm. it, but oh i have to get as much of it as i possibly can you know so and, i and, have an allergy to many things like i am very sensitive to nature so if i have to go out and start picking leaves i don't think that's going to end <laughs> well for me <laughs> that's okay that's the, the end of well, thoughts on we'll, that. we'll give you a pass on that one karen <laughs> <laughs> anyway you guys see what i'm yep, saying like absolutely. we get very attached to our creature comforts and we mm -hmm. think that we need them 
And if something comes along and strips them away, we're so devastated. But look at the room for spirituality that's taken up by in-your-face creature comforts. Yeah. So, yeah, that, you know, all that speaks to why this man would have begged out so hard to Jesus as, uh, uh, that's what I need. I, I don't need to stay here and be quiet. I don't need to, I need, I need Jesus right now. Yep. And then Jesus simply gives him his sight. And whether he touched his eyes or what, he didn't go through the big rigmarole this time. I say rigmarole, you know, the, the, you know, the first time he made the spit and mixed it up and, you know, whatever. But this time it's a it's a very simple, it's just a very simple healing. It's interesting to me the way that uh, Jesus handles it differently here. I would love to ask him, why'd you do it different here? But we never really see him do the same thing the same way twice. Oh, so, I bet I know why. I, I think that we humans are so formulaic in our approach that if he healed the same way every time, we'd be like, oh, I can do that. Hang on. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Come over here. Let me see your eyes for a second. I think this is going to work. No, no. He has to keep humanity on its toes or we will turn everything into a formula and be like, I can reproduce that. I don't need you anymore. Yep. He, he does it different. Don't get used to don't get used to the formula. I guess we have talked about that a lot here today, haven't we? About the formulas that we that we try to find and all the specific ways that we think that we're going to gain God's favor or gain his um, approval or his whatever. And and he's constantly showing us it's not a formula. It's me. Right. It's Jesus. All righty. Well, guess what? Mm. We're not going to get into Matthew 19 today. Shocked. <laughs> no. Shocked. <laughs> so shocked. So, which is actually kind of good because this chapter ended one notebook that I can close. And then when we come <laughs> back next week, I just opened my neck, my new notebook. I'm so, so proud of you guys for taking notes. Like I've you say it. that you go, okay, so what I have in my notes and I'm like, oh, they take notes. They're so <laughs> professional. I, w- I, w- I, well, I sort of wish I could speak out without having notes because. <laughs> I feel the same way, Karen. I'm I like, go, whoa. They're I like go, advanced. I go, what did I do this week? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good because then I can look back. Because yeah, I've got I've got stacks of notebooks on on stuff for this. So it's it's good. It's good for me. But anyway, so that means that uh next week we will be getting into largely Matthew 19 and 20, which will also bounce us into Mark 10. Um, and we have we have discussed a few of the things in those chapters before, and so we're going to be kind of bouncing around in those chapters. But uh, that's where we will be is Matthew 19 and Mark 10. And so while you are reading that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Also, I forgot to mention, you can look us up on Facebook again because I got that whole thing figured out. So until somebody steals my password again, we'll be able to we'll be able to look us up on Facebook, which is look for Adventures Through the Bible on Facebook, and uh, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends and family, so we can reach them as well. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.